With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. On this episode of The Fieldhouse Files, the Pacers are on to the in-season tournament championship game against the Lakers. I'll preview the matchup with Lakers beat writer Jovan Buha from The Athletic and provide insight from Las Vegas. I know that Fieldhouse Files has a prolific following. You know, I just want to be careful about sharing too much with the world. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Happy weekend, everyone. It's a busy but fun one for the Indiana Pacers involved in the in-season tournament game Saturday night. It'll be the third consecutive game that the Pacers have appeared on national TV. And by the way, the third different network. It was TNT on Monday. It was ESPN on Thursday, and tonight, Saturday, it will be ABC. So there's no excuse not to watch this game if you're a Pacers fan. Everyone can get it over the air and for free. So that's absolutely huge. It's going to be a a great uh, audience, I think, at T-Mobile Arena here in Las Vegas, a sold-out crowd, but I think it's going to be primarily Lakers fans, as you can imagine, and that's what I'm expecting because when we're here in July for Summer League, whenever the Lakers are playing, that's the toughest ticket to get. It's almost always sold out, yes, even in Summer League, and so it gets really interesting. You got LeBron James involved, and it's the first of something. First of anything is always special and memorable, so uh, I think just even a casual basketball fan would pay a couple hundred dollars to be part of it see LeBron and the Lakers, and yes, the Pacers too. And my story on Saturday at fieldhousefiles.com for paid subscribers kind of talks about that, centering around the fact of how the Pacers have handled the spotlight quite well. The national attention has not gotten to them. I think they've continued to focus on their process. They've stuck to their routines. And more than that, they're still grounded in who they are and, and, and each player having their own role. And I take you back to Friday where they held an extended kind of media day. It's really after practice, but the Pacers treated it well, whereas the Lakers, like LeBron and AD, they're like, yeah, I'm good. We talked last night. I'm not practicing today. I'm not showing up. And to be fair, if you're LeBron, you're in 39, you're what, 20? Yeah, you can do that. But it just speaks to the different level and treatment of this game and the approach. I mean, that's a guy that's won many, many titles and a guy that's been in a half dozen NBA Finals series. This Pacers team, uh, the last time they were in the NBA Finals, it was against the Lakers back in 2000. They haven't reached the postseason 
since 2020. They haven't had a true postseason where you have home games, you know, pre-pandemic since 2019. An entirely different group. Only Miles Turner was a part of that. So that's why the excitement, the buzz is, is genuine. It's real. Um, for this Pacers team, it's not just artificial or because the league's telling them to or, uh, you know, whatever. No, they're absolutely enjoying this. They're enjoying the fact that there's extra money on the line, and it goes a long way, even for a guy, say, Aaron Neesmith, who signed a contract extension for $11 million per year. Less so for Buddy Heald, who's at $20 million, or Miles Turner at $20 million, who said he'd probably invest it. Uh, go to the two-way guys. A lot of them brought up Oscar Shibwe, for example, uh, a guy that spent his college career in at Kentucky. And Benedict joked, he's like, I don't believe it. That guy got some NIL money when I was – uh, unable to do so because that was obviously recent. But a guy like Oscar Shibe in a two-way would get half a share. So if they win five hundred thousand, he would get roughly two hundred and fifty thousand, which is incredible. That's about half of his annual salary. Now, right now, he's already guaranteed a fourth of that, which is a hundred thousand, because the Pacers have already guaranteed themselves two hundred thousand. So there's money on the line. There's a championship against LeBron, and yes, of course. Of course, this Pacers team would have some success, and it would be LeBron James standing in the doorway trying to block him, just like it, it was for the past decade um, when it was Paul George and those teams. It seemed, seemingly went up against him, even the uh, Victor Oladipo year, I want to say in 2017. Seven games, lost to LeBron's Cavs because, well, LeBron, and that was it. The team wasn't better, but LeBron was. So it will be a really fun matchup coming up here on Saturday night. Um, go back briefly to how they got here, and how about this week? They've had to defeat the Bucs and defeat the Celtics, the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. Now, I think the Bucs are highly flawed right now. They're just 15-7. and seven. Yes, they got Giannis and Dame, and by the way, I was surprised that those two really did not take over in the fourth quarter, as you would kind of imagine. They teamed up for, for 10 points total between them, whereas Bruce Brown by himself had eight points. So that was a rare. And then there's some airing of grievances apparently in the locker room after that game for the Bucks. The Celtics, to me, are the clear favorites out of the Eastern Conference, and the Pacers defeated them. But it was on their home court, uh, which certainly plays a factor uh, in all of this. But let's go back with that Bucks game. you got to first, I think, start with Tyrese Halliburton. Without him, they're not in it as much as they are. 27.7 rebounds, 15 assists, zero turnovers. Phenomenal game from him, including that step back there on a second-chance opportunity, by the way. The third straight possession where the Pacers got a second-chance opportunity in punctuated and pounced on that and that was a story I'm going to try to get into a little bit more did not have time here it's a mad rush man this is where working for yourself can be tough there's about five stories I want to write there's about three other podcasts I want to do and I'm trying to force and get as much content out as I can but there's not nearly enough time to to do so I'm at rush to try to get this podcast out for you but I'm happy to do so, no doubt about that. But in terms of Tyrese, second straight game, producing with zero turnovers, that's been phenomenal. Uh, in my To my original point, 13 second chance opportunities in that fourth quarter off of eight offensive rebounds. And in that game, after being uh, dominated on the glass in the first half, the Pacers ended up coming back and winning the battle of the boards 51-46. That tells you right there. And then after the game, and you can read his full comments on fieldhousefiles.com, Giannis uh, almost went over the top and 
making a point about how much more the Pacers wanted it, how much harder they played, and how much more organized they were. I think, yes, he believed that, but it was also kind of a shot at the Bucks and what they are not right now, and for them to kind of figure it out and get that right. But it took all 10 guys that played on uh, Thursday for the Pacers to get that win. And Rick Carlisle talking about their process and how they're in it all together and uh, that the team's bench outscored Milwaukee's 43 to 13, 30 points. That's incredible and, and indicative of what this group is about. I think about uh, Aaron Neesmith, six points. No, he had an, an, an impactful uh, presence in that game. Uh, I joked with him at practice on Friday. He had to be feeling sore just in his chest and his arms from the amount of blows that we were seeing him take from Giannis and he kind of played it off no 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 I'm all good it's all basketball we have more coming with LeBron here soon so here we go uh one other thing I want to touch on John Halliburton I talked with him Monday after the Pacers win over the Celtics and he's become a media darling now I'm kid you not before the Pacers last game there were four national media members lined up to talk with John Halliburton. There's a story already by one of them already out there, uh, but it was, it was incredible. And, and these are all known national reporters. They all couldn't wait to get in on John Halliburton. And, and he's just an infectious personality and he loves his son and you, you love to see that. So that was a fun note I wanted to pass along. Uh, also, I, I like the fact, but it's certainly notable that Pacers brought everybody out here. Their entire support staff, their uh, orthopedic surgeon, their eye doctor, um, so many people out here, the team CEO, the team's president and COO, uh, talking about Rick Fusen, Mel Raines, Herb Simon, Steve Simon, they're all out here. So Pacers, from all aspects, seemingly treating this like the playoffs and like the finals because um, they are all in on this, and that's been fun to see uh, the level in which they treat this. Uh, Andrew Nimhard went down in the fourth quarter. He was at practice on Friday. Not exactly in practice gear. He was getting some shots up, but mostly just walking around dribbling and being there with his teammates. He is ruled out for Saturday's championship game against the Lakers, and I'm guessing he'll miss the next week, maybe two. Um, the good thing is he got tests here in Las Vegas, and they came back negative for the stuff you'd be concerned about, torn ligaments, torn tendons, uh, you know, broken bones, anything like that. Just a hyperextension, it seems, a bone bruise. And so it's it's not something that you have an exact timetable for because every player's body responds differently. But it's a short-term injury that I think should keep him out, hopefully no more than two weeks. And so as Rick alluded to on Friday, kind of crisis averted um, because it looked bad. I had a national reporter right next to me go, oh, no. Like he kind of screamed out, and that's how bad you know, you know it is. It was at the opposite end of the court. He needed help off the court was immediately ruled out, wasn't even listed as questionable. That's how you know right away um, it wasn't just another injury. Uh, Friday night, I also went to the Hoop Collective. It was cool to see some of my friends have their podcast uh, live taping led by Brian Windhorse, uh, Tim Bontemps, who I had on this podcast previously. He was part of that. And then Tim McMahon, who covered Rick Carlisle uh, for his years in Dallas and was a guest on this show and Rick took the job here. And uh, by the way, Tim McMahon, if you don't follow, he has a kind of a running bit where he hands out kind of the cojones factor, uh, kind of the X factor, the guy that had big plays all week. And he kind of hands that out. I think it's every week. Maybe it's once a month. Anyways, he's already declared Tyrese Halliburton, the cojones factor MVP of the tournament. No surprise, but there you go. And I think if they could win, 
that's a no-brainer. If they don't, I think it's probably got to go to LeBron. And you're going to see a motivated LeBron Saturday night. Believe me. Every indication of how he's, what he's doing, how he's approaching this, it's a business-like mindset. It's not just another trip to Las Vegas. No, not at all. He wants this. Um, something that his predecessors couldn't do because there was no tournament. On top of that, you remember the first. You remember the first MVP. You remember the first person to hold up the cup. There's probably images of that in a magazine for the end of time, as long as the tournament exists. So LeBron recognizes the importance of this. And uh, I think the other big thing in this game I want to highlight here before getting to my interview with Jovan Buha is the fact that these two teams couldn't be more different. Lakers are terrible at three-point shots, last in the league. Pacers, meanwhile, they love shooting threes, want 40-plus per game, and on top of that, they try to limit their opponent's three-pointers. So that will still probably be the case here on Saturday, especially against LeBron. Outside of that, you know, I'm not expecting the Lakers to probably really take too many three-pointers, not at least what we're used to seeing from opponents. Meanwhile, Lakers really dominant, really physical inside. Well, the Pacers give up the most points in the paint of any team in the league, more than 62 per game. So which playing style will win out? Will LeBron and the Lakers be able to be more physical, get guys in foul trouble like a Miles Turner and Aaron Neesmith, Bruce Brown, uh, live at the free throw line, that sort of thing. That's the way the Lakers can win it. The Pacers can kind of win it by their offense as usual. It'll be playing so fast that these Lakers are just exhausted, that LeBron can't play 35 minutes in this one, or at least not at this pace. It's grabbing it and going, as we've seen from this Pacers group, but that's not how the Lakers, they want to slow it down, be methodical, play more in the half court, and get into their offense, work the ball around, etc. The Pacers want to, we know, get it and go. Um, and so they scored 128 points, the Pacers did, on the Bucks while holding them to 119. Was not expecting that for what was the highest... Pre-game over-under line, um, I think in 30 years is what I heard, which is absolutely wild. And, of course, that did not hit. And their arena was cold. It's a new gym, unfamiliar sight lines. So that wasn't entirely too unsurprising. Um, last thing I wanted to touch on, by the way, also re-emphasizing my content at fieldhousefiles.com. I touched on Halliburton and it's Dame time and what he had to say about that. After the win, and, and what Dame, Damian Lillard said as well, I posted practice interviews with, I think, a half dozen guys. It felt more like the old days, which was appreciated. If you know, you know. And more than that, I also touched on in my championship preview, went more in-depth in this, and got comments from a lot of the Lakers, uh, from Darvin Ham to Austin Reeves to uh, others, about what they see in facing the Pacers. And basically every team, even those not playing them, have been happy for the Pacers. They've been positive about their playing style and all of that. So that's interesting. Um, whoever wins, what's going to happen? Is someone going to raise a banner? Tyrese joked a couple days ago that, hey, he hadn't won anything, so he's all in. He's good with having a banner. Rick Carlisle mentioned that's probably going to happen. They hang, you know, Teams hang banners for anything, um, seemingly almost anymore. Uh, LeBron didn't really answer the question. He said, that's not my call. And uh, Yeah, it probably is his call. If he wants a banner, there will be a banner. Uh, although that would be decided at the Lakers arena, uh, what, Crypto.com arena or whatever. Um, I would expect there to be some kind of ceremony. But who knows? It'll be a fun one Saturday night. Then the Pacers don't have much time to celebrate. They go on the road to Detroit next for a game on Monday, their first game of a four-game road trip. If they don't go home back to Indy, which I'm not expecting, 
But we'll see what they ultimately decide to do. I think they'll go directly to Detroit on Saturday. I just wonder if the guys have enough clothes, right? For a four-game road trip, it would be 12 state straight days on the road. Those little things interest me, just like the Pacers winning on Monday with despite shooting 21% from three, making seven threes. So they can win in a variety of ways. We know they just need to score, get enough stops, and that's what they did on Monday, keeping the Bucks to below 30 points in three of the four quarters. So we will see what things look like coming up on Saturday against the Lakers. For more on this matchup, I sat down with Lakers beat writer Jovan Buha to preview the matchup. All right, as promised, I'm joined by Jovan Buha of The Athletic on the Lakers beat. And Jovan, this is a, a fascinating game, I think. First of all, it's, the Ve- it's Vegas. It's the first of something. So that's very a curious aspect in all this. And I guess maybe to start, I'm struck by the contrast of this matchup. Pacers are trying to establish themselves. Pacers are trying to, you know, create something, start a culture, and and experience some winning, experience national TV games. The Lakers, quite the opposite. They have the banners. They have LeBron, who's always in the Pacers' way. Um, How do you see it from the Lakers' standpoint here? How serious are are they taking it and looking forward to this matchup? Because I think Giannis and the Bucks, I think they were just happy to be here. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I think they're taking it very seriously which kind of surprised me I, I i thought it could have gone either way right and um I, I think the the default assumption would have been the lakers maybe approaching it more like the bucks and and some of these other yeah. um you know more established teams that have the track record of, of making deep playoff runs or, or winning a championship recently uh but lebron really wants to win this thing and to me uh, it, it's, it was clear in that Phoenix game that helped them get to the semifinals. Uh, and it was clear against the Pelicans where uh, from the opening tip, um, you know, he, he sets a screen, he rolls to the rim hard, he pins Herb Jones on his backside, you know, one of the best wing defenders in the league and uh, gets an and one layup and, and does his little kind of shoulder <laughs> shrug celebration and, and flexes to the crowd and his mean mugging and stuff. And like, um, just the way that he attacked that game, you know, the, the game was, was still kind of close. Uh, Pelicans actually led after the first quarter, and he comes out, hits three threes, uh, one from the logo, and uh, it is just kind of going crazy to start the second quarter and, and really help put the, the game away from that point on. So I, I think uh, for, from a financial perspective, of course, like I, I don't know how much it actually moves uh, someone like LeBron who's – uh, net worth Got is it. over a billion dollars. But, but on the flip side, you have all those guys on minimum deals. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, D'Angelo Russell actually talked about that last night of like, it hasn't been a, a spoken thing necessarily within their locker room, but they are aware of, uh, you know, the, the two-way guys get a cut of that. Mm-hmm. The assistant coaches get a cut of that. Um, and then obviously the guys on the roster that are making, uh, you know, in relative NBA terms, you know, less money than, than uh, you know, some of the, the higher paid guys on the roster. So, I think they're, they're well aware of that. And um, I think for LeBron, like there's also just the legacy aspect of, you know, winning the first in-season tournament, 
Uh, that's something that, you know, it's always the Jordan comparison. Like, Jordan never yeah. won one. <laughs> Someone joked about that in the press conference. Yeah. But, like, I, I think that matters to him on some level. So, uh, I do think the Lakers are, are going to be hungry tomorrow. Like, I think at this point, if you're in the championship, like, why not try to win it? Totally. Um, so, I, I think you're, the, the Pacers are going to get the Lakers' best shot tomorrow. And then, of course, we'll just see how it plays out. Looking forward to it because, too, they've, they've been a close couple of battles the last couple of years. The one that jumps out at us, at least in Indiana, is Andrew Nimhard knocking down the three-pointer, left arc, coming from an incredible pass from Tyrese Halliburton, who's just taking his game to another level. But Nimhard's out. Jalen Smith remains out, so you won't have that aspect. It's one less good body to put on LeBron and challenge him physically and such. And even the Pacers are joking – uh, in all seriousness, though, that, hey, look, like you're not stopping him. It's all about s- slowing him, showing him different things. Do you double? Do you not? Um, either way, it's a, it's a tough battle there. But from a national standpoint, how have you seen the Pacers from the outside looking in as they've finally maybe become relevant once again, a team that has not been in the playoffs for four straight years? Yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, my, my colleague John Hollinger um, had an interesting tweet where uh, you know, kind of comparing the, the strength of schedule for both the Lakers and the Pacers w- within the in-season tournament. Um, be- because, it, I mean, you look at it, like the Pacers just beat the Celtics and the Bucks, who I think unanimously are the two best teams Top in two. the East for, for mm-hmm. most people. Uh, so for them to have that difficult of a path and to come out on top against both of those teams, uh, I think that speaks to the level that Tyrese Halberton's playing at. Like, I think he should be in the MVP conversation. I, I think he's a ballot player right now if the season were to end today. And obviously the Pacers, like, I looked at them more as in probably a play-in team uh, entering the season. And who knows, maybe they still end up being in that mix. But they could be ahead of schedule. And, you know, again, with the way that Tyrese is playing, um, he's playing like a top-10 guy. Uh, and again, if he's a ballot player, that's a top five guy. And, you know, he, he's just this, uh, Darvin Ham was asked about who he'd compare him to. And I, I think he's kind of this interesting blend of like Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, Chris, like he's, he's a pure point guard. Um, but he's even taken it to, a, a, I think, a different level offensively with his scoring, with his shooting, I mean, the, the Dame time celebration against the Bucks. That was the most bravado that we have seen from Tyrese. He's not a flashy player outside of literally his game. So that yeah. stood out. Yeah, and, and then, I mean, the, the Pacers offense, and I think Rick Carlisle, I, I think back on some of those Dallas years where, like, Dallas always had an elite offense despite not always, like, you know, Dirk was on his last legs or they didn't even have a star pre-Luka and they were still elite offensively. So uh, I think you, you have one of the best coaches in the league. You have one of the best players in the league playing at an incredible level right now. And you just have this fun, young, athletic team that uh, AD talked about it last night as well of like, you know, we're looking at their box scores and it's 130, 140, 150. So yep. like they know like this is a high octane <laughs> offense that, um, that they're going to have to contain. And uh, I think – it's going to be interesting because Pacers obviously score a lot, play fast. They're, they're young. They're athletic. Lakers are a little bit slower. Uh, they're, they're big. They're physical. They're long now that they're healthy. Uh, so it, it is a bit of a style clash in, in some regards. Uh, and it's really going to, I think, kind of come down to, to me, the, the defensive end of, of can the Pacers slow down the Lakers just enough as they were able to against Boston and Milwaukee. And for the Lakers, how do they match up with, with the Pacers and just kind of their firepower? Because the Lakers have kind of struggled offensively at times. Uh, you know, New Orleans game aside, their offense hasn't been great this season. So uh, 
to me, it's going to kind of come down to the defensive battle of like who can kind of slow down the other one a little bit more. Lakers are number one in defense, aren't they right now? They're um, close. They're, they're, they're close, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's your two clashes, two in just playing styles. Yeah. Pacers want to outscore you. Lakers want to slow it down, get LeBron rest, yeah. and string together some stops. Yeah, I mean, LeBron wants to manipulate the game, and you get him in a, a half-court setting. And, like, again, their, their half-court offense has struggled overall, but they actually have a really good crunch time record in part because you get LeBron – like, you, you tell LeBron you have three to five minutes to, like, win this game and manipulate it, and he'll figure it out. That's just, you know, how, how great he's been. But um, really, I, I think the, the interesting chess match to me is going to be Tyrese versus Anthony Davis because I, I think Anthony Davis uh, – remains underrated defensively and, and isn't someone we talk about in the defensive player of the year conversation necessarily, but uh, th- there's just kind of this funny flow to, to or rhythm to, to games where guys will try AD in the paint. He'll block a shot. He'll block a second shot. He'll contest some shots, you know, or, or start to deter them. And then by the third, fourth quarter teams, like you'll see uh, if you rewatch that Phoenix game that the Lakers just had, like, there were plenty of turnovers that happened just because guys would drive into the paint, mm-hmm. AD's rotating over. They're like, we're not going to take this shot. And then they over-dribble, they overpass, and they commit a turnover. So that kind of chess match there of one of the best defenders in the world versus one of the best offensive players in the world and how the Lakers uh, you know, choose to – are they going to blitz him? Are they going to trap him? Are they going to double? Are they going to – um, you know, are they going to play their more conservative drop coverage? Like, I think that's a mistake. So you're, you're probably going to see them play up to touch at least. But if they do that, then you're giving up certain things. And, and so I, I think the chess match of that is going to be fascinating for me. And I think that's where we've seen continued to see Tyrese's game evolve. Last game, we saw the Bucks in the second half go to a 2-3 zone, and it was effective for the first, I don't know, half quarter, maybe the third quarter, and then they were outscored by 14 points. Fourth quarter, they figured it out, and Ty was talking post-game. He was like, you know what? When they do that, I kind of like it, though, because I get to the middle. I know they're collapsing on me, and guess what my best attribute is? It's passing. It's getting others involved, and that's what we were able to do. And they did so um, so effectively in trying and able to get that win the other night. Um, you bring up the good point, though, about points in the paint, too, like w- with AD defending there. I mean, I go back to last game. Pacers scored 14 of their first 16 in the paint. He was getting them up and over the defender, and that really jump-started, I think, the offense. And first quarters where they've gotten better um, as the season's gone on. Um, you go back, I think the, the value of the tournament beyond the obvious of the money, the bigger stage, and you know, talking about NBA right now in a time where normally it's relatively quiet. I look at, you know, you see the Pacers' record, 12-8, and six, 12 and eight rather. Half of those wins in tournament games. And if you just take it for what it is, 12 and 8, very average, middle of the road, especially when you consider 11 of their first 16 at home, they did not take advantage. And I think that's where you're seeing the added value maybe of this tournament of jump-starting their season and giving them a reason to add to their strengths and, and minimize those weaknesses here as they get into maybe a road portion stretch of their schedule. No, I, I totally agree. I, I think from the Pacers' side, it has helped turn – Probably, ele- I think Tyrese Albert was already a star, but I think it's it's elevated him to a different yeah level in the national discourse where we are talking about him on a national level. Um, I mean, you, you have the uh, inside the NBA guys joking about James Harden wanting to request a trade <laughs> to Indiana now, and like um, so, I, I think it's elevated his star. Um, it's obviously giving the, the Pacers a huge platform now, where you know that it's going to be mm-hmm. you know the game of. 
maybe the regular season, the game at least of the first half of the regular season of like, you know, this is going to be all eyes on this championship game on, on Saturday. For the Lakers, it's kind of had a similar effect where, um, you know, they're 14 and nine, they, they've won seven out of 10, but they had a slow start, started three of five. And the in-season tournament has kind of been a rallying thing for them where, um, you know, they've won their six games by 121 points. So 20.2 points per game margin of victory. Like they've been blowing now, granted that they're, I think their schedule has been relatively easy in, in comparison with, with the Pacers and, and maybe some other teams, but, uh, that's it's kind of been the thing that has, has gelled this team has, has been the in-season tournament and, and them being motivated by it and finding the success in it. And then I think it's also been a reminder of just how absurd LeBron is. And, yeah. you know, year 21, <laughs> about to be 39, like this guy's, you know, just still posting stat lines that, you know, uh, fewest minutes. Uh, played to, to score 30 points in a game. Like, it's just crazy things. And you keep, um, you can keep creating stats, and yeah. he probably applies in, in his number one. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's just, I think for both teams, it's obviously been a uh, success. And, you know, you make the championship, you, you view it that way. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'm really interested in, in just, uh, again, the, the chess match of uh, single elimination. Uh, it's yeah. basically a game seven, and both teams, you know, money on the line. Uh, you're going to get medals if you win, like your potential banner, like all, all this stuff on the line, just like the stakes of it. Um, and again, this is an early December game, like typically Lakers Pacers early December. Okay. Like, you know, we're watching yeah. and, and, and in Indiana, it'll be a sold out game and a lot of Laker fans in the yeah. crowd, but much different right now because of totally these stakes. Different. Yeah. So I think, I think it's been a resounding success. Um, and I, I don't know. There's always things you can nitpick, and I'm, I'm sure of course, yeah. you know we, we can uh, find tweaks for the tournament. But overall, I think considering how quickly this was all put together and the initial skepticism around the league, I think there was a lot of skepticism, honestly. Uh, it, it's been great. Yeah, and that's always the case when you kind of introduce something new and you change kind of the routine of what we are all used to and, and what the players are used to. Um, to go back on to LeBron, I, I always it, – it's funny because the new generation uh, of players right now, like – Tyrese grew up like the biggest LeBron fan. And he was saying today, yeah, if anyone born 2000 on, that's basically what you were. And um, I think about Benedict Mather and he kind of feels the same way, but I mean, obviously he had that big quote coming out. Uh, his rookie year was like, I want to prove that I, you know, I can match up and be better than him, whatever. I love that bravado too. You have to think that way or else you're probably going to get defeated anyway. But um, for a Pacer fan who has not watched the Lakers, we know LeBron, we know AD. What else is, is cooking right now with them? What are, what are some big issues and maybe what's something they're, they're overcoming here in the last few weeks, Yovan? Yeah, so um, I'll start. B- big issues have, have been the three-point shooting. Um, they've been one of the worst teams in the league in three-point shooting. That basically been bottom three and makes attempts and percentage all season. Um, it has regressed positively uh, over the last few games, but that is, uh, I think, probably going to be part of the Pacers' strategy is uh, pack. I mean, it's kind of been the thing against the, the blueprint against LeBron and AD for several years now is just pack the paint, make the role players have to make shots, and there's going to be some nights they shoot 49% like last night and, and they hit a bunch of threes and they blow you out. But more often than not, they're not going to shoot that well, and you at least have a chance kind of playing that that style defensively. Now, that'll be interesting because one of the number one defensive points the Pacers have had this season is guard the line, get them off the line, allow the jump shot. 
So the Pacers in general want you off the line, not taking those threes, but maybe that's something you consider if you're the Pacers is allowing for those three-point shots, knowing they don't shoot it very well. Yeah, so the, the, you don't want to force – like, the Lakers live in the paint and they live at the free throw line. And that's right. – uh, I'm sure something Pacers fans will get frustrated with. Will be the foul, <laughs> I just had it with Giannis. Foul calls, the free throws. Um, so the Lakers are more like smash mouth, we want to live at the rim, draw fouls. Feels like Frankie Vogel's uh, back. You just yeah. you just did his smash mouth. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I, I think, you know, the, the, the way to play it is like – LeBron's been shooting so well that – He's probably the exception, but AD, you want him taking mid-range jumpers. You want him taking threes. And for the most part, most of the supporting cast outside of D'Angelo Russell, Torian Prince, and, and Austin Reeves, you want the rest of the guys shooting. Uh, so that'll be its own kind of interesting battle there of, of foul trouble. I mean, you know, they just played the Suns, and KD, Devin Booker had five fouls. So, like, it's like they get guys in foul trouble, and, and that's just something you have to be cognizant of as a defense uh, and then defensively, now that they've gotten uh, pretty much fully healthy, Gabe Vincent's the only guy in the rotation that is currently out. Uh, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, an elite perimeter defender, uh, Cam Reddish has really stepped up. Like, that's been the guy, to me, arguably the biggest surprise of the Lakers season has been. I was not a Cam Reddish guy. I saw him bounce around Atlanta, New yeah. York, Portland. Just wasn't my cup of tea as a player. Uh, but the Lakers have really simplified his role of just – you take open threes, yeah. you know, in transition, you know, attack the rim. Uh, and then defensively, like, he, he's probably going to guard Tyrese, uh, at least start out on him. And he's going to guard him 94 feet. Like, he's going to be pressuring him. Um, he's, he kind of does the Jose Alvarado thing where he'll sneak. Like, he'll kind of – T.J. McConnell, too. Yeah, T.J. McConnell, <laughs> um, where he you know, pretends like he's kind of trotting back on defense. And then all of a sudden, he, you know, he's like a cat. Where, Slides in. And, and he's got, you know, a seven-foot wingspan, so he, he can get – you know, make some of those plays. So I, I think defensively uh, between Cam, Jared Vanderbilt, Max Christie, Torian Prince, um, Rui and, and, and LeBron are, are more front court guys. But like, and then of course AD, like they have size, athletic, you know, athleticism, length, uh, physicality. So really this team is, you know, you're talking about elite defense, like their bread and butter is the defensive end. And that fuels their offense, where they get out in transition, they get out into early offensive opportunities. So I think that really, in a way, the, the Pacers, I know they've struggled defensively, but their best defense in this scenario might be their offense, where if they can score and play fast pace and attack the like, – Lakers have struggled tra in transition defense the last few years. They've been better this year. They can attack them that way. I think that's kind of the blueprint for Indiana winning this game. Like, if they turn it into a track meet – I think they sh they have enough offensive weapons yeah. to probably outscore the Lakers unless LA is just having a hot shooting night. Last thing, just because I know there will be a lot of IU fans as well. Jalen just kind of out of the rotation right now. Anything, you know, what's Darvin saying about what they're asking of him at the moment? Yeah, I think Jalen's in a tough spot just because this is a team with championship aspirations and you typically don't see rookies contribute in, in those scenarios, especially a, a deep team like this where – um, I mean, one, he, he was injured to start the year, so he missed almost, I think, the first 16, 17 games of the season. Uh, so didn't even really get to get those preseason reps and kind of show his game. And that's tough for your first preseason. Yeah, that's tough. Um, two, the way the Lakers' rotation has kind of played out is Austin Reeves is playing a lot of point guard now. So between D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves, that's already more than 48 minutes. Like, they, they have the point guard position covered. 
And then some of those minutes are bleeding into like, you know, Austin and D'Lo playing together a little bit as like a backcourt tandem. But the Lakers have actually tried to stagger those two a lot. So um, just looking at Jalen as, it, you know, the head of the snake, primary ball handler, there haven't really been those opportunities for him. And then on top of that, Gabe Vincent's out. He's going to come back and play some point guard. So you're going to probably have Austin playing even more at, at shooting guard. Uh, and or, or Gabe, t- you know, at shooting guard, Austin is the primary guy. So I, I just think it's this year is kind of almost going to be a redshirt year for him, most likely. And then um, depending on, you know, the Lakers might make a move at the deadline. D'Angelo Russell is a guy who's been rumored uh, to, to be available. So if, if they end up going in a different direction and maybe try and get another wing or another big man, uh, I think there will be a chance for Jalen most likely next season to, to emerge in the rotation. But this year, um, it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, rookie on a good team yeah. with depth, they just typically don't play that much. And who knows? I mean, th- there's a point like there will be a time when he's needed. Max totally. Christie wasn't playing the first For sure. few weeks of the season. Lakers had injuries. He played. So with Jalen, if D'Angelo or Austin goes down, all of a sudden there is that hole in the rotation and he potentially plays. Appreciate it, Jovan. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thanks to Jovan for joining, and thanks to you for listening. Pacers, Lakers, Saturday night, 8.40 p.m. Eastern Time, tip time. I'm here in Vegas all week. Can't wait to get home, but it's been a fun week out here covering the Pacers' run to the championship game. That'll do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files podcast, and I'll talk to you again soon.